Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast, FYI. I'm your host, Ben from Ontario, Canada. It is 10.32 a.m. here on January 8th. Thank you for joining me. Canada's housing crisis. That's what we're going to talk about. Well, good morning. How are you this this fine Sunday morning? Here, ten thirty a.m. Little, uh, <clears throat> well, it has clouded over. It's a little chilly out there today, but not as bad as it can be for uh, for January, and especially not like it was just before Christmas. Um, yeah, I hope you're having a good weekend, and. Um, so, you know, here here in Canada, in every single province um, and territory, um, you know, we do and we are facing um, a housing crisis, affordability. Um, even when it comes to um, not just buying a house, but when it comes to renting, um, whether it's a one bedroom, two bedroom apartment, three bedroom apartment, or, you know, three, three or four bedroom townhouse, uh, <clears throat> rents um, have gone up um, dramatically um, here in the city of London, Ontario. Uh, we've seen the highest increase in rents in probably. 30 years, so I think we jumped something like um, 29%. Um, whereas, you know, what, what people would rent, you know, for an example, a three bedroom townhouse, um, if you went back five, six years ago, they'd be around $1,000. If you go back 10 years, 20 years, they ran probably around $800 a month. Today, for that same three bedroom, they're going anywhere from $1,800 to $2,400 a month. One bedroom apartments are up around $1,200 to about $1,400 for a one bedroom compared when they were around $700 for a one bedroom unit. Now, affordability, well, if people now looking to um, buy a home, you know, over the course, you know, uh, of, of the of the pandemic, people were still selling. And what we saw was um, because, you know, the market, you know, and the, the, the supply, 
you know, so really the demand wasn't there. Neither was the, neither was the, the uh, supply. Housing, you know, to buy a house, people were outbidding prospective buyers. And at times I've seen houses go as high as about 180,000 over asking. And that put a lot of people right out of the market. You know, and then the banks, you know, prior, even prior to the, to the pandemic, um, for people to buy a house, the banks, what they did, they called it a, a stress test. And, and what that means is that if your mortgage rate was say two and a half percent, and then what they would do is that they would see, okay, what if, what if it, uh, the mortgage rate went up to 3% or three and a half percent. Could you afford that mortgage at, at that rate? And again, that knocked people out of buying a house because it became more than 30% of their income. Middle-class wage, you know, you're probably going to be today what they would consider middle-class, probably 70,000 a year. But with the increase in interest rates, increase in rental units, You know, people are looking, you know, people are looking, you know, 40 to 50% of the wages of paying rent. I mean, if we went back you know, 50 years ago, you're making 70 grand a year. I mean, you really, you have no issues, but not today. And when it comes to even for people who are looking to rent and raising the public awareness you know, on addressing discrimination when it comes to if you're, if you're going to, if you're just going to be able to rent. So housing providers and landlords can run a foul in part 
and out of lack of understanding its application to them, some may have a mistaken belief they can pick tenants that they find desirable. Good income, full-time job, neat and tidy, great hygiene, And, you know, and and it is, you know, and and others are, you know, they're confused about the complex rules around what can be used to access prospective tenants or when they need someone, a a guarantor um, to be obtained. Now, Affordable housing. I mean, what is affordable? I mean, to you, what what is affordable housing to you? I mean, shouldn't we be able to, all of us, have a roof over our heads? And that is including people who are on disabilities, who are on social assistance, and finding housing for the homeless. Which, by the way, we have a homeless crisis. Not just here across Ontario, but all of Canada. Affordable housing is a core necessity for everyone. You know, here in Ontario, you know, we are the, one of the wealthiest jurisdictions in the world. Yet there are still many Ontarians who do not have access to adequate and affordable renting housing. And there appears to be several reasons for this, including the shortage of housing supply. And this is what we're looking at. This is what we're facing right now. This is part of the crisis. Low social assistance and wage rates and discrimination practices by housing providers. Yeah, our minimum wages have have gone up over the years. The starting minimum wage here Ontario, here in Ontario is, is $15.50 an hour. Now, they are looking at, and, and, you know, measures have been undertaken in recent years to address housing supply. And um, the much talked about Canada-Ontario Affordable Housing Agreement 
Um, you know, how much have they done? How much uh, remains to be done? It almost seems like we're just we're just getting started. It's like we 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 allowed this crisis to happen. Now everybody's jumped in, and it's a mess. Social housing, well, there again, we have a lack of. You know, for a, for a, a waiting list, for someone who is waiting to, to get into social housing, it is approximately a seven-year wait. People who have a physical disability and are looking for social housing in a unit that um, they can use, such as they, you know, uh, every so anybody with a disability using a walker or a wheelchair. So that unit, you know, everything's going to be on the main floor for them. But that waiting list is 10 years or more. They haven't built any social housing since the mid eighties until recently. There have been some uh, new buildings going up. Uh, there, there's a, a, a section um, in the city um, they called um, Soho and it used to be many, many years ago, it used to be a hospital there. And they tore down that hospital and they built um, affordable units. Uh, there has been some going up here and there around the city, but they're filling up really fast. And, and the reason why they're filling up really fast is because they take people who are most in need. for shelter. And of course, you know, the waiting list, you know, when you get a seven year waiting list, um, it's really not first come first serve. So, people who are in the most vulnerable situations are going to get those places. And once you've been, been chosen for, for a place, you cannot refuse. may not like the area or whatever the case may be, but you can't refuse the offer because what happens if you refuse the offer, you go to the bottom of the waiting list. That's going to take another seven years. 
Now, social housing, when properly funded and operated, it has been a very effective way to meet basic housing needs. However, issues with respect to social housing programs have resulted in, um, in a chronic housing shortage for low-income in individuals and families. And like I said, there are long wait lists. And in some, in, in some jurisdictions, like here in the city of London, the wait list as much as seven to eight years. There's also concerns with the allocation of social housing. For an example, waiting lists may be divided based on whether a person is on social assistance or can afford the market rent. Waiting lists can have a negative impact on those who may have a more urgent need for social housing and large families may even have a harder time since larger units are even more difficult to obtain. And denying or revoking um, social housing subsidies, subsidies in the limit options for appeal may also be a concern. So people with larger families, you know, mom, dad, three kids, maybe they got four kids. The most bedrooms that I've seen in, in house, in, in social housing is four bedrooms. But again, you know, the waiting list, you know, seven to eight years. And it's been, you know, it's been like this for a really long time. And, and it's just that they never, they just never addressed it. It really happened. And, and the need, you know, you know, just, you know, we thought, you know, 20 years ago, that food banks would be something that would be short term. Here we are 20 years later, not only are food banks needed, more and more people are going to the food bank. Now, social housing providers face their own challenges. Rising energy costs obtained with very low energy efficiency ratings mean that more social housing projects may move into a deficit situation. Similarly, those are a shortage of money to spend on aging buildings. I haven't seen the city of London In many, many years, I mean, if you drive around the city and, and you drive around where the social housings are and they, you know, look like <clears throat> a 
they're more than 50 years old. 60, 70 at least. So, re, so updating these buildings, repairing these buildings. Now, you probably heard of uh, co-op housing. It's another attractive source of affordable housing for, for, for people. And however, once again, they're longing less for co-op housing and very few new co-op developments, and I have not seen any. Now, there are many barriers to establishing new affordable and supportive housing that will provide accommodations for people identified by the co-ground, such as those with disabilities, low-income persons, newcomers to Canada, Aboriginal persons and youth, When, when we want to build social housing, you know, where are we going to put it? Are they going to put social housing in neighborhoods, in and around neighborhoods of people who have homes that are or $700,000 or more. Because they'll tell you what will happen. Those people who live in, in those, in, in those 700000 plus how $700,000 plus, they're going to say, not in my backyard. Discrimination in, in rental housing. Issues of discrimination in rental housing often arise because of combination of human rights grounds. For example, a young lone mother on social assistance who is looking for rental housing might potentially experience discrimination on the basis of her gender age, family status, and receipt of public assistance. If she is a rationalized person or has a disability, her experience of this discrimination may change or become more compound. So just because a female with children is on social assistance,
going to be discriminated. Now, discrimination based on one or more grounds that intersect to produce unique experiences of discrimination has been identified by, by the commission. So what, <clears throat> what are the ways in which people experience discrimination in rental housing on the basis of each ground of the code? How does this intersection of the code grounds impact on discrimination in rental, on rental housing while securing rental housing? And there are several general ways in which people experience discrimination in renting. And one of the first and most obvious one is when securing housing, for example, people may be screened, screened out or turned away because of their race, their color and their ancestry, age, size of their family, sexual orientation, or perhaps most common because they earn low wages or are in receipt of public assistance. Now a question that often comes up in the housing contacts relates to what is and is not allowed when considering a prospective tenant. Now landlords have a legitimate need to access prospective tenants, but must do so in a manner that is consistent with the human rights code's decision and provide some guidance. For an example, it is now clear that rent to uh, rent to income ratios standard guidelines that tenants applicants are spending no more than 25 to 35% on his or her rent. I mean, it's, you know, people People who are on, you know, a disability, not just social assistance. Um, people on disability, um, I, I believe it is, is something for, for a single person. Um, it's around $900 a month. A single person on social assistance is about seven fifty a month. So where are they going to rent? And we have waiting lists for social housing of seven to eight years and longer. If a person has a disability and and requires a unit for disabilities, and that's 
10 years or more wait lists. Rents have gone up here in the city of London. You know, the, it's seen the highest increase in the province of 29%. When it came to rentals, you know, here in the city of London, we were probably the cheapest place to find affordable housing. Now we're not. We're not as high as Toronto, you know, for, for a, a one bedroom, you know, if you're living, if you want to live in the downtown core in the city of Toronto and you want to rent a one bedroom apartment, you know, it's going to run you about $2,400 a month. Now, if you move, you know, out of the downtown core, you know, you might be, you know, in around $1,800 a month for a one-bedroom apartment in the city of Toronto. Or that one-bedroom here, still going to be a little bit less. And depending on the area of the city, we're going to be paying anywhere from probably $1,400 to $1,600 a month for a one-bedroom. Now, if, if that's more than 30%, of your income, chances are you're not going to be able to rent it. Now, securing a rental housing You know, so also, you know, there are also be other barriers that can result from seemingly neutral policies or practices, right? From uh, prevent people from accessing rental housing would be no pets. Policy being used to prevent a person with a disability who uses a service animal from renting a unit in the building. would just be outright illegal. It's the same thing, you know, people who have a service animal, which if they go, uh, I've, and I've, seen, I've seen this happen, I, I've read it in the news, and, and, and it's just appalling. You know, they go into a coffee shop or a restaurant and they have their service animal, they have the papers, and I've read news articles, and I'm, and I'm talking right here, I'm talking right here in the city of London and other in other cities too, um, here in Ontario, is that they walk in there and they, and they clearly have the documentation that this is a service animal, this person needs this service animal, that they're asked to leave. No pets. Asking them to leave, they have a service animal and they have the, the, the papers. Asking them to leave is illegal. 
Now, a question that often comes up in the housing context relates to what is and is not allowed when considering a prospective tenant. Landlords have a legitimate need to access prospective uh, tenants, but must do so in a manner that is consistent with the code. And the human rights decision have provided some guidance For an example, it is now clear that the rent-to-income ratio, a standard guideline that a tenant applicant like should not be spending more than 25 to 35%. You know, homelessness, you know, it's... It's way out of control. I mean, it is just an absolute crisis. Then from the city I live in, and um, smaller cities to the south, or to the east and to the west, and of course you get into the, um, the metropolitan Toronto, you know, um, here in the city where I reside in, there's on average people living on the streets. I I, I don't even know if they can even um, really know exactly what the number is. but it's higher than a thousand on any given night. I don't have to go very far from out of my neighborhood to find homeless people. Now, the groups that have experienced historical disadvantages and who are um, protected under the, uh, like we're all protected under the um, the Human Rights Commission uh, code and are more likely to experience low social and, and economic status, poverty is linked with, uh, with um, inequality in particularly for women, especially single mothers and older women, aboriginal persons, racialized persons and persons with disabilities. And a person's social economic status is highly relevant to his or her housing situation. Now, it is also clear that the one social 
economic status has a direct relationship to the likelihood of becoming homeless. And one of the most extreme outcomes of low social and economic status, discrimination also contributes to the homeless. Homeless people include persons living on the streets, the hidden homeless who use shelters or those, you know, are at intimate risk of becoming homeless. And homeless people frequently find themselves at the outmost margins of society and are highly vulnerable to ill health, spread of disease, harassment, abuse, malnutrition, dehydration, sleep deprived, and life-threatening weather. Now, by saying that, you know, we are still, I mean, we're so still so far, far, far away from solving homelessness. Yes, wages have, like the minimum wage has gone up, but so has everything else. Look at, look at the cost, look at the cost of food. You know, I was out with some, from friend um, the other night and, um, we just kind of got on a, a little bit of discussion about, about it. You know, basic, you know, basic, basic needs, you know, um, milk, bread, cereal, eggs, vegetables. You know, a head a head of lettuce is like six dollars. That is just outrageous. Not only when it comes to being able to afford a place to live. still have to feed yourself you still have to feed your family and what is a livable wage well when they talk about a livable wage you know they'll say okay you know what the city of Toronto is you know is, is one of the most expensive places to live here in Canada besides um, Vancouver and, and, and Montreal. Like Canada would probably be, I, I would say, I would say Vancouver would be the most expensive. 
and then Toronto, and then Montreal. Living wage, they think, for for uh, Toronto, is around twenty two fifty an hour. I'll tell you what, they're way off. I mean, if if you got if you're gonna rent a one bedroom apartment and out of the of, of the downtown core, you're still gonna be paying. Roughly eighteen hundred dollars a month for a one bedroom. Twenty two fifty an hour is that going to cut it? Probably not. Here in the city, here in the city of London, they think that's around eighteen fifty nineteen dollars an hour livable wage. And now what we're seeing with inflation and the rents have skyrocketed. 1950 an hour is not going to cut it either. A livable wage for here in the, in the city of London where I reside, a, a, a livable wage would be $25 an hour. Toronto would be $30 an hour and up. Vancouver, you're going to be making over $30, $30 an hour to live in Vancouver. You know, back, you know, back, um, you know, during, um, you know, the, during the pandemic and, you know, we had, we had, um, you know, non-essential businesses had to close and, and things like that, you know, so, um, restaurants, you know, it's hard. I mean, to get people to come back into that into that that sector, you know, when already, you know, they were, you know, making minimum wage or just above minimum wage. Some might have made a little bit more, you know, general managers or whatever like that. They probably made a little bit more money, but nonetheless, you know. Um, People kind of just, you know, stayed away, you know. I mean, they're still, they still want, uh, they're still looking for, for servers. But the wage has to be there as well. When are things going to get better? When is inflation going to come down? It's probably not going to come down for some time. We're going to see our, 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 our just 
just our basics. Shelter, food, clothing is getting to be more expensive. Families Kids have to be clothed. Kids have to be fed. And what about what about the other things? Entertainment. Entertainment for the kids. Utilities. Thank you for that. have all gone off the charts. Economic and social. On the social side, Far too many people, far too many families are, you know, are and probably will be in a situation and that threat of becoming homeless is going to be coming real for a lot of people. And we look and we look to, you know, not just our, our politicians, you know, in, in the city, we look to the government on what they want to do, what their plan is. Well, here in Ontario, the premier build Homes Faster Act. He wants to build on the protected green belt areas that the Ontario government deemed protective. That there would be no housing built on these protected lands. Now they think that's a good idea. And cities and uh, municipalities around the, the green belt areas are saying, no, we have space. We don't need to touch the green belt. It's too late. We already passed legislation. Should we be 
should we be building up or should we be building out? Do we have land that is, is suitable for housing instead of destroying and depleting the green belt areas. The downtown core here, here in the city of London. Oh, over the years, I mean, they, they've, uh, built up more high rises going up. We have an area, uh, of the city. It, it, it used to be, um, there used to be a hospital. It was a psychiatric hospital. A lot of property. And yeah, they're going to build on there. They're going to build townhouses. They're going to build single dwellings. And they're going to build some apartment buildings on that land it's going to add probably another 10 streets so big this area is they never talked about affordability now my understanding um when a new high rise is going up, that there has to be an allowable percentage of below market rent. They were, they, the builder wanted to build this building, I think it's something like 26 or 27 stories. The city of London wanted them to have, I think it was going to be something around 35 units to be below market. And it took them a long time to hash out. And unfortunately, you know, the city agreed with the builder that there'd be only something like 15 units below market. So what's going to happen in this area, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's on, it's on, on the East end. You know, there was no talk about affordability. How many townhouses are going to be there? How many single dwellings are going to be there? And, and the high rises. You 
know, I guess it's going to have to just be, you know, you know, wait to see, you know, um, what that, what that, what that is going to be and what, and what is going to be, you know, affordable, you know, so we're, so, you know, we are addressing the situation, you know, when it comes to uh, the, the housing crisis that we're facing. There's another area in the city and it's just off the downtown. And um, it, it, it's a sizable property. And still part of the old building is there and they've knocked down, you know, the majority of it, but it's a mess. It's an eyesore. And the city still hasn't addressed it. And, and it, you know, it, it would be a, another a perfect place that they could build affordable units. Even, even if they built, you know, a, a couple buildings on there, you know, maybe six stories. Maybe seven stories. They could easily put two buildings there. And it could be easily used for below market rent. And every day I, I drive by there and, and, and I look at this mess and I, and I just shake my head. In the downtown core, there has been places that have gone up, you know, over the years. But like I say, you know when when they when they build these buildings and and they're and, and they're for you know people who can't you know afford the market rents they fill up quickly because people need them Where are they going to go from here? I mean, of course, we have special interest groups, you know, um, working on things, city working on things. The government, you know, you know, like I said, build more, the build more homes faster act. Are going to be affordable? I guess that's just another, another wait and see. I mean, what is affordable? What I mean, for for people to to to, to buy a house. I mean, the average house in the city that I reside here in London, the average house is about six hundred fifty-five thousand dollars. That's the average price. So what is affordability? 300,000? 200,000? 
like I say, when it, when it, when it comes to a living wage, you know, they, they got, I mean, especially, like I said, especially now, you know, with, with way everything has gone up. What is a living wage? Are, are, are employers willing to meet that threshold? Is that going to drive up the cost even more? You know, because remember when, when, whether, whether we're manufacturing or we're growing or, um, just, just your, 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 your basic things that, that, that we need and are being made. So if the wages go up, then things are going to cost more. I mean, the people, you know, people were, were hollering about the prices of groceries. The grocery stores are making, the grocery, grocery store chains are making record, uh, record profits. Everything that goes into the ingredients, you know, that we buy, like I say, wages go up, so it costs more for that ingredient. Grocery stores pay more for it, and then they're charging more for it when it hits the shelf. Even though if we, if, even if we set the minimum wage for an example, say we set the minimum wage at $18 an hour. Things are still going to increase. Yes, that will help somewhat to have money in people's pockets. But the way inflation is going, and inflation will probably go higher, and it, it would feel like it that eighteen dollars now would still feel like fifteen fifty an hour. I really don't know what to tell you, but and we got to draw a line somewhere. And I hopefully, you know, throughout this new year of 2023, you know, will things just level off? Or is it going to get worse? Time's going to tell. 
But I want to thank you for joining me this morning, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Truckers Podcast, FYI. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and the upcoming week. And I will be back out here again, like, you know, um, because of my job being, being a, being a truck driver, you know, um, yeah, I don't do long haul anymore. I do city and I'm home every single day, but I work long hours. So it is hard for me to come out during the week, weekdays and stuff like that and, and fit in the show. Time to time I do, you know, depending on, you know, my day, how I feel, you know, because, you know, nothing worse than doing a show when you're tired and fatigue starts to set in and your concentration goes down, you know, really doesn't make for a good show. You know, so I try, you know, from time to time to do a show, you know, maybe midweek, but mostly on the weekends. And I appreciate your patience and I appreciate you coming out here um, on the show. So until, until next weekend, next Saturday morning. 10 a.m. And I'll, I'll put up a show. I haven't gone through anything. I got, I got like a like a whole list of of stuff to talk about. And, you know, just I run through it and I pick and choose, you know, what's going to be a good topic today. What would be a good topic. And that, but that'll be up on Podbean, you know, either later today you know, but no later tomorrow. So at least, you know, if you, if you're following me on, on the Podbean Podby app, you get the notification that, you know, next coming episode for the Truckers Podcast. So again, I want to thank you for joining me. Enjoy the rest of your day, your day, your week. Take care and be safe. This is the Truckers Podcast, FYI. I'm your host, Dutch from Ontario, Canada. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen.